we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. So if you want to go ahead and go there, um, it'll be on the screens, but if you have your copy of Scripture, I encourage you to look there. I'm going to start us in verse 1, Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, I've had trouble saying that word all morning, was governor of Syria and, Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the end. Well, have you ever felt like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong? You ever felt like that? Like no matter what you do, something bad is going to happen. That you've reached the point where you don't expect things to get better, but you just expect them to get worse. Like watching a Dallas Cowboys game, you know? It starts off real well, but by halftime you're like, okay, we're just going to go home. It's over, right? Well, I want you to, to take a trip with me through the memories of 2020, okay? The memories of 2020. So I'm going to put some headlines up on there. I'm not going to give a lot of commentary about them, but here's the year that we've had, okay? It all started with the death of Kobe Bryant, which for some of you, you don't care. But for me, as an avid Spurs fan, I had a Kobe Bryant jersey hidden in my closet. They were our villain, but I loved Kobe, and I was real sad when he died. And then... I don't know if you remember this, Prince Harry and Meghan left the royal family, which for some of you, you are really sad about that, and some of you had no idea that that even happened, right? Um, and then the Astros cheated, which you don't care about, but I care a lot about, um, and I'm still feeling the pain from that. And then President Trump got impeached, which made half of our country really mad and half of our country really happy, right? And then... There were protests all across the nation, and a national conversation about race began and is still going on today. And then COVID-19. And so if I would have shown you all of these headlines at the beginning, you can take that off, at the beginning of this year, and said, hey, this is going to be 2020, you wouldn't have believed me. But the reality is that for many of you, some of these headlines create deep emotions in you. Maybe not Prince Harry and Meghan, but for some of these headlines, they create deep emotion in you. You feel it. And if we're honest, it's hard to look around and honestly say, God, I, I do trust you. I believe that you are in control. It's hard not to look around and go, like, God, did you miss a turn somewhere? Did you get lost? Like, where are you? And so here's a confession time for, for me. Um, Katie and I are the type of people that don't typically look forward to Christmas. It's not that we don't like it, we just don't get overly excited about it. And typically there are two types of Christmas people, so if you're one of these, I'm proud of you. The first group is the group that says, hey, we don't listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Are you one of those? All right, we don't listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. And then there are the type of people that say, look, I do what I want, okay? And you are that person who is sitting or standing in your kitchen, and you've got Oh Holy Night playing in July, and there's something wrong with you. Are you that kind of person? 
Yeah, I see a couple hands, a couple hands around there. Um, at least I thought there was something wrong with you. Because something has happened to me in 2020, okay? Um, I remember Katie and I were, were sitting at our house on Halloween night. We had the candy. We're ready for people to come knocking on the door, and no one came. Like, literally, no one came. They were probably in your neighborhood, but they weren't in ours. And so we looked at each other, and we're like, well, now what do we do? And with the weight of the headlines of 2020 on our shoulders, we said, let's put up our Christmas tree on Halloween, right, where we're taking this year back. So we went to Hobby Lobby. We bought ornaments. We put on some Christmas music, and we just jumped in, and we decided that 2020 had just been one long Halloween anyway, so let's just start Christmas. And even this week, and typically I, I don't get excited about Christmas series and Christmas songs and Christmas sermons. It's my own fault. Something wrong with me. But they're always on the same text. They have the same outline. So due to my own fault, I just, I just, it, it's hard for me to get excited about it. And at the beginning of this week, I was really sick. Like I had some sinus pressure, and I had to go get a COVID test. And all these things started running through my mind. I was like, man, what if I get others sick? What if I can't preach? What if Katie can't lead worship? That, that's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of inconveniences, both from the physical health side and logistics. And all these things started entering my mind. And my mind just started wondering with all the bad things that could happen. Because we've been trained, based on the headlines of 2020, to think that something bad is going to happen. The test came back negative. And I sat down to study for this text. And, it, it, I mean, it was the Spirit. It, it's just wonder, like this word that God led Matthew to choose for this series, wonder legitimately filled my heart with this, when looking at this text. Because here's the deal. If the church of Jesus Christ should be, ever be thankful for Christmas, it's right now. It's the perfect time to joyfully look back at the coming of Jesus and ask God to stir our affections for his return. Like if we ever just needed a break, right? It's right now to remember who our God is and look at him with wonder. And so here's what I want you to hear before we jump into this text. Here's what I want you to hear. Things aren't always as they seem. They're not always as they seem. Seem because the reality is that as you prepare for Christmas, you might feel like it is one more thing that you're losing. That you may not be able to gather with those you usually gather with, or maybe not in the way that you're used to. And for some of us, Christmas is already hard. Like, look, every year I feel the weight of the death of my mom and dad, every year. And if you've lost someone either this year or years before, you know that feeling, that you feel that loss, or maybe you've lost your job, or maybe you've just felt like you've lost this year because you haven't been able to spend time with the people that you usually spend time with. But whatever it is, I can bet that the majority of this room feels some kind of loss when approaching Christmas, and it feels like God is not in control or that he's absent. Listen, do not believe the lies. Do not believe the lies. Things aren't always as they seem, and we see that here. So verse 1, let me, let me read it again. Let me start in verse 3. It says, they all went to, all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Jesus, Judah, Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage, house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, 
his betrothed who was with child. Okay, Savior of the world, Son of God, divine ruler. You know these descriptions as descriptions for Jesus. But let's say that you were living in the first century under the Roman Empire, and you went to a town in the Roman Empire, and you asked the people who lived there, hey, what are those things that you're saying? What are those phrases that you're saying? Who are you describing? They wouldn't say Jesus, but rather they would say Caesar. We are describing Caesar. See, during this time in history, Rome rules the earth. In fact, the government, the Roman government, stretches all the way from England to India. That's a massive piece of land. And not only were they massive, they were also ruthless. They conquered the world by slaughtering thousands of men, women, and children. And there are historical accounts of the Roman government going in and completely wiping out cities because the people in that town would not worship Caesar as God. They would take the people in those towns and they would crucify them along the Roman roads as a warning to everyone else, hey, don't go against us. They were violent, they were pagan, and they were just plain evil. Now, during this time, what's kind of interesting is the Roman Empire, they had heralds, okay? Heralds that would go into the cities and villages, and they would walk around the town, and they would proclaim gospel, gospel. They would come in and say, hey, joyful tidings, we have an announcement, an announcement from the Caesar. And there's one inscription we have from Augustus from 9 BC that says, the birthday of the God was for the world. The beginning of the gospel that has been proclaimed on his account. And as Caesar's worship spread, those under Rome's authority were forced to bow down, confess Caesar as Lord, and pay the appropriate taxes. It didn't matter whether they approved of Caesar or not. Caesar was sovereign. He was the ruler. So when Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem to be registered, it could seem as though Caesar has all control. It could seem that things are bad. Remember, the Jewish people are an oppressed people. Jewish believers who believed in the one true God were a perfect target for Roman rulers. And here in this moment, it seems like Caesar has all power, but he doesn't. It can seem like all the headlines go against the people of God, yet the truth is, and here's, man, what you have to remember, God is moving all the pieces as he wants them. There are two things that prove this in these first few verses. One is the name of the city, and the other name is the name of a king. Bethlehem is the city because, see, for 400 years before Jesus was born, 400 years, God announced that the Messiah, God in the flesh, would come from this city, Bethlehem. Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, who are too little to be named among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And then you have David, who in 2 Samuel verses 12 and 13, God tells him, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build the house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is bigger than Solomon. He says forever. So the question is, how will the kingdom of David be established forever? The Babylonians are about to come and wipe them out. God's making a promise to David. The Messiah will come from your line. And here in this moment, in this city, in this text, 
we see the purposes and plans of God. Remember, all is not as it seems. God is moving the pieces for his purposes. There's a theological term for this. Last week, Matthew taught you incarnation and hypostatic union. Do you remember what hypostatic union means? Um, He taught you those words. Um, Well, this week, the word I want to focus on is the word providence, the providence of God. And we see it here in this text in all its wonder. The word providence comes from, you guessed it, the word provide. Um, Pro is the Latin word for forward or in front of or on behalf of. Like you might be familiar with words like pro-life or proactive. One is on the behalf of something and the other is to move forward on something. And then vide, so vide, which means to see in Latin. Julius Caesar famously said, vini, vidi, vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. The vidi in that statement is I saw. So in a way, providence can mean to see forward. But it's more than that. It's not just foreknowledge, like knowing something before it happens. For example, we have an idiom in English, will you see to that? You ever said that? Will you, will you see to that? Yeah, it means take the steps to make sure that it happens. So if you want a simple definition of God's providence, God's providence is God's seeing to everything. God's seeing to everything. That God is seeing absolutely everything that needs to be done to bring about his purposes. God sees to it that it happens. One text that illustrates this perfectly is Isaiah 46, verse 10. I'll start in verse 8. It'll be on the screen. God says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And then in verse 10, he says, declaring the end from the beginning." And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose, and I will do it. So here, this first part of verse 10 tells us that God is saying two things. One, I declare how things turn out long before they ever happen, and two, I declare that not just natural events, but human events, things that are not yet done. So declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. And then the next part of verse 10 tells us how he knows these things will happen. He says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. So follow me here, okay? The reason God knows the future is because he plans the future and accomplishes it. And then the next verse, verse 11, gives clear confirmation that this is what he means. He says, I've spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. In other words, the reason my predictions come true is because they are my purposes and because I myself perform them. God is not a fortune teller. He's not a magician. He's not a mere predictor. He doesn't have a crystal ball. He knows what's coming because he plans what's coming and he performs and provides for what he plans. You follow that? And some of you theology whizzes might say, well, you are describing the sovereignty of God. Well, yes and no. The sovereignty of God, and hear this, I know it's easy to check out right here. The sovereignty of God and the providence of God are incredibly intertwined throughout the scriptures. And when you begin to understand them, you will begin to see how they work together 
and the Bible, and both of them are at work here in Luke 2. God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. But notice, nothing in that definition talks about God's wisdom or God's plans. It's just right and power. You have the right and you have the power to do what you decide to do. That when when he decides to do a thing, he does it and no one can stop him. That's sovereignty. Providence, I will see to it. Remember that. Provide, I will provide, I will see to it that everything works together for the goals that I have planned. I will see to it that everything I have purpose comes to pass. I love Jeremiah 1.12. He says, for I am watching over my word to perform it. That in the providence of God, God moves all things as he wills, that he has providence over everything. He moves all things as he once, he has providence over nations. Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight says, For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Like Great Britain might feel like it's in control with their little teacups, but they're not. India may feel like it's in control, but it's not. China may feel like it's supreme, but they are not. God rules over them all. And even when decisions are made that make making disciples of all nations difficult, we see God's providence. This past week, I was catching up with a friend of mine. Um, he was a missionary in the Middle East for about five years, and now he serves at a local church in Temple. And he was telling me about how um, his team is still there. So he was telling me about one of the guys on his team that just got kicked out of that country. And right before they got kicked out, this team baptized five new believers, five men, all in their 20s. And out of these five men, they went to three different universities in this country, these Muslim universities. And so while this country may have kicked out one, it actually gained five. They kicked out one missionary, but they actually gained five missionaries. That these men went into those universities with the gospel at their heart and a desire to make disciples of all nations. It doesn't matter who the king is, who our president is, who the ruler is. It doesn't matter. It's God who's in control, and it's God who's moving the pieces. Isaiah 40, 21, he says, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told from you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? And in 22, he says, Is it he who sits above the circle of the earth? Like that. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He says, Who stretches out the heaven like a curtain? Who spreads them like a tent to dwell in? And here's what he says about princes and kings. and Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? And here's what he says. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. And here's what he says about our rulers. When he blows on them, they wither. When he blows on them, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Psalm 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but, in, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In other words, when you roll the dice on the table, God not only knows what the numbers will be, but he picks the numbers himself. That's what providence is. There are no events so small that he does not 
rule for his purposes. He's probably over nature too. From worms in the ground to stars in the galaxy, God governs the natural world. Like think about it. In the book of Jonah, God commands a fish to swallow Jonah, and then he commands a fish to spit him out. And then he commands a plant to grow, and he commands a worm to eat that plant. And far above the life of worms, the stars, literally, the stars hold their place at God's word. Isaiah 40, 26, he says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. (laughs) He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And listen to Psalm 147, verse 15, he says, he sends out his command to the earth, his word runs swiftly, he gives snow-like wool, he scatters frost like ashes, he hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word, and what does he do? How does he control it? He melts them. He makes his wind blow, and the waters flow. He has control over all the snow, all the ice, all the rain. Look at Job 37, verse 11. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction or for his land or for love. He causes it all to happen. So snow, rain, cold, heat, wind are all the work of God. So when Jesus sits in the middle of a lake and the storm is raging, what does he say? Peace, be still. And there's calm. He speaks to the wind as if it's a child. And the wind obeys. There's no wind, no storm, no hurricane, no cyclone, no typhoon, no monsoon, no tornado that cannot hear peace, be still, and disobey. God's in control over it all. Rain and drought, health and sickness, riches and poverty, poverty. Nothing happens by chance. He's moving all things according to his desires. And here in this moment, in Luke chapter 2, I want you to see it. Caesar thinks that he, it is his idea to make people register and pay taxes in their home city. He thinks that it's his idea. But God in his providence has spoken that the Messiah would come from the city of Bethlehem and from the line of David and provided a husband that is from where? Bethlehem. And it's from whose line? David's. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. What does this mean? What does this mean for you and I? What are the implications? Don't believe the lies. COVID's not in control of your life. Presidents are not in control of your life. You are not even in control of your life. (laughs) God is moving all the pieces according to his counsel and his purposes. This creates in us, if we're honest, a lot of humility, a lot of humility. Like, think about it. Do you feel how fragile you are? How, con- how, how control you, you, you really aren't? Do you feel how fragile it is, how dependent you truly are? It's humbling, isn't it, that you're not in control? No matter how much you want to be, no matter how much you want to move the pieces to work everything out, knowing that God is in control of every aspect of your life puts us on our knees before him. It also creates in us gratitude. 
that God does not owe us anything, but every good thing that we do have is from him, from your family, to the place you live, to the job that you have, to everything that you have, he has moved the pieces so that you would have it. And for those of you that would say, man, well, it's just, you don't know me. There's not a lot of good things happening in my life right now. Well, then you missed the point. You missed the whole point of God's providence, that he has moved the pieces in my life and your life so that you would know his grace. He has moved the pieces so that you would know his grace, that when you deserve judgment, he proclaimed forgiveness for you. (laughs) That he moved the pieces in a way that you would hear his voice, you would see his goodness, you would see his grace, and you would say, yes, he's better. Let's look at verse six. It says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Remember, all is not as it seems. The king is born in a stable, not in a palace. He is worshiped by shepherds, not nobles. It would seem as though God is still not in control. He can't even provide a comfortable room for the son of God to sleep. God in the flesh. Seriously? And for me and for you, even after all this, we can talk about God's providence all day long, but it doesn't make the feeling of loss disappear for a lot of you. It doesn't make that feeling of loss disappear. 2020 still happened. The things that hurt you still hurt. Your loss, hear this, your loss is very real. And don't let me or anyone else tell you that your loss is not real. It is very real, real, big or small. And that's okay. It's okay that it hurts. And I can't tell you why the things that have happened to you have happened. I can't. And no one can. I can give you biblical principles and biblical ideas, and and I can preach the gospel to you, but I can't tell you why. Why the things that have happened to you have happened. I can't tell you why God has allowed COVID to happen. I can't. But God knows. And hear me. He has proven over and over and over that both in his word and in our lives that he is for the good of his people. That our faith and hope is not without reason. And here's how I know that, and here's how you know that. Because years later, Jesus would not be in a manger, but he would be on a cross. Think about this. He was betrayed. He was arrested. His disciples scattered. They just left him. He was beaten, and he was nailed to that cross. It would seem as though all hope had been lost. And in his last moments, he said two things. The first one, out of Mark 15, 34, it says, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemi sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) That for the first time and only time in all of eternity, Jesus is separated from his Father separated from the Trinity. And even Jesus, while on the cross, asked why. But all is not as it seems. Remember, every moment, from Abraham to Jacob to Moses to David to Daniel to Esther to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Ezekiel to the donkey that speaks to Balaam, every moment has led to this, to a baby born in a manger, the providence of God on the cross. And the second phrase that Jesus said was, what? It is finished. 
it is finished. God's purposes had been accomplished because three days later, Jesus would walk out of that grave. Listen, do you see it? The majesty, the glory, the sovereignty of God, that the plan of God was to put on human flesh for our redemption. The providence of God, the movement of, all, of God to put all the pieces in its place. And if you can believe that he did those things, if you can believe that, then you can also believe that he is moving all the pieces in my life and in your life to its appointed end. That it's okay to feel that loss, the loss of a really bad year, the loss of a family member or a friend, the loss of a job, the loss of not spending Christmas the way you want with your family. But we have to remember that there are two movements in history. If you look throughout history, there are two two movements. Everything moves towards the birth of Christ and the death of Christ. That's the first movement, the birth, life, death of Christ. That God has orchestrated all things to accomplish this purpose. Do you see the love there? (laughs) That he's moved every piece on the board so that we would know his grace. That when all feels like it's lost, we can know, no, he is for us. He is with us. That he didn't stay dead, that his resurrection is proof of our redemption. And that if we believe that, that he has literally put his spirit in you, like God literally with you. He's with you. That's the first movement. And now, second movement is him moving all things toward the second appointed end. And this is where we find ourselves in history. If you will, I want you to go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to close, so go ahead and stand with me. I want us to, to look at Revelation 21. This is, his, this is the second end. This is where we're headed. And while we're reading this, I want you to think about the loss. And the band can go ahead and start coming up. I want you to think about the loss that you feel, the hardships that you feel, the, the frustrations, the anxieties, and whatever it is, the apathy. This is where God is moving things. This is where he finds us, where we find ourselves. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, listen to this. This is where we're going. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And let's read verse four together. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is where we're headed. And if he's moved all things to its appointed first end, he will move all things to its appointed second. It may not always look like it, but he is. Verse five, he says, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, look at that phrase. And he said to me, what? 
It is done. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The end of the first movement. And there will be a day when he will say again, it is done. He is moving all things. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I like this last verse. I think we don't really focus on it much. He says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, spring of the water of life without payment. (laughs) Just as he rose from the grave, he has promised that we too will rise in resurrection. And at the end of all things, he will make us new and all will be as it should be. But, But I want you to hear this. Not only do we have the promise of eternal healing and peace, but he also promises it right now. He does. That he, he promises that he will mend the pieces of your heart back together. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. So do you see it? The headlines don't tell the story. How you feel right now doesn't even tell the story. God writes the story. He turns the pages and he closes the book. Until then, you bring your anxieties, you bring your frustrations, you bring your pain to him because he has not forgotten you. He's literally shown us that he is with us. Emmanuel.